0: Uh, Herbs. <Entertainment> <Angelica Fr> <Tigre> Welcome. This is the 24th episode of Spurbs Herbs, and today we're going to be uh, looking at a very interesting herb called Chuanbei Mu, or Chuanbei Mu, Fritillaria cirrhus bulbus, also known as Sichuan, or commonly known as Sichuan Fritillaria bulb. And as always, I am your presenter, Dr. Greg Sperber. So why don't we just get into things and see where it goes. We have some exciting stuff. So today we are going to be talking about an important herb in Chinese medicine. It's not necessarily one of the most commonly used herbs in the pharmacopeia, but it is important. Chuanbei mu is a very useful herb for treating phlegm and heat in the lungs. But before we get to that, let's talk some more about how herbs are named as well as discuss an herbal legend about today's herbs. So let's get going. And before we get into things, let's talk about uh, a little bit of business beforehand. If you are an acupuncturist, this podcast as well as others are approved for California Acupuncture Board Continuing Education Units and National Certification Commission of Acupuncture and Oriental Medicine Professional Development Activities. At a reasonable cost, please check us out at www.integrativemedicinecouncil.org. That's Integrative Medicine Council, C O U N C I L.org. I have also written a couple of books. One is Integrative Pharmacology, Combining Modern Pharmacology with Integrative Medicine, and the second one is Playing the Game, a step by step guide to accepting insurance as an acupuncturist. Both of these are available at the shop on www dot if you think either of those would be interesting for you. So without further ado, let's get into today's podcast. So way back in our third episode, 21 episodes ago, on Shawren or a mommy fructus, one of my all-time favorite herbs, delicious by the way, we discussed biological taxonomy. We talked about species, genera, family, and all the way up to phyla, all everything, etc. And we talked about binomial nomenclature. So in this nomenclature, the genus is capitalized, followed by the lowercase species name, and both are written in italics. So that's when you see uh, a momi fructus, as we have here on this page, if you're seeing it, or in any of the herbs that we've discussed. We, we talk about it in these terms. This can be followed by more specific names about the part of the plant, and this is used a lot in herbology. So for example, fructus or semen, which means fruit or seed, or specific subspecies or a cultivar. So for example, the Latin name of our herb today is Fritillaria serosae bulbus, which would be the part of that herb. The problem is more and more often as I discuss herbs, there's more info in this nomenclature, which is usually a name and sometimes an initial, which is usually not italicized, N is in all capitals. For example, technically today's herb is Fritillaria serosa, italicized, and then followed by non-italicized, in capitals, D period, Don. And I had no freaking clue what this means. Okay, I have some ideas. But let's find out what this is all about. Let's discuss that today because I've seen it a lot. I want to know what I'm looking at. So let's do that. So generally, a third name after a binomial, binomial meaning two names, so a third name after two names, um, will refer to a subspecies and should have uh, the... Uh, the the uh, shortened version of sub SP period, so S U B S P period, meaning subspecies. Sometimes you might see, and it, it means, it, I, I don't think we'll see it a lot in plant stuff. I, ha- I haven't seen, it. I've seen subspecies, but I haven't seen S P S P P period, which just means multiple species. Um, it's a plural for the s- subspecies. Um, so that, that will have a, so it'll say something like, you know, uh, Fritillaria serosa, sub-SP, period, and then a, 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 a Latinized name of a subspecies under it. So that's that's where that would come in. A cultivar is usually in single qu- in a single quote behind the, the binomial. Um, and there is a difference between a cultivar and a subspecies, and we're not going to get into that today. We'll leave that for another day. And same, a variety is another sort of... Uh, uh, Less than species, uh, this is all hierarchical, and so you can have a variety, and that has the abbreviation var. Period. So you might see something like, uh, if it was a, a varietal of today's herb, it would be something like uh, Fritillaria serosa var. Period, and then some other name. You know, so that would be some reasons for a third name into a binomial, and then another very common appendage to the binomial is to add an abbreviation of the name of the botanist who discovered it. Well, I, I say discovered it, but, but actually described it for the first time. So for example, any plant or zoological species for that matter described by Carl Linnaeus who developed the system of taxonomy is simply followed by an L period. So you'll see that. You'll see if this were discovered by Linnaeus, it would be, uh, Cerosa, it would be uh, Fritillaria serosa, L period. And that would mean that it was first described by Linnaeus. Now, interesting, they also have another way of doing it too. If the species name has been changed over time, then that L period is in parentheses to show that it was not the original binomial name. So he's still getting credit for actually describing it at first, but it ended up being in a different genus or different family or something changed in the name. And so they put it in parentheses. So I, I think that's kind of a... A little tricky Still, they still get the the, uh, the uh, prestige of it but uh, it's it's very clear that it's been changed so that that was new new information for me here's the problem in all of this there are experts who debate naming all the time several different systems for nomenclature exist over time several names have been developed for the same plant and there are ongoing debates as to which families and genera a specific plant belongs so things change So in other words, it's difficult for non-experts to get all of the subtleties and keep up with all of the changes in this domain, not to mention all the different add-ons possible. And there are a lot of different... There was a list of the botanists whose names can be appendaged, and it was gigantic. I only looked at the A's and the D's, and there must have been a hundred different names in just those two letters alone. Um, So I wasn't going to go through the whole alphabet, but there's thousands of botanist names that can be attached to this. Having said all of this, this does help me understand some of the major aspects of this nomenclature. So let's apply it. So, bringing this back to our herb today, uh, technically it's fritillaria, as it's written in my book, fritillaria serosa bulbus D. Don, D. Period. Don. And the D. Period. Don are not italicized, everything else is italicized, and they're capitalized. So, fritillaria is the family, serosa is the species bulbous is the part of the plant, in this case it's the bulb of the plant, and the D period Don refers to the botanist David Don, who lived from seventeen ninety nine to eighteen forty one what a great great legacy to have you know, your name attached to a to a, uh, a plant. So as for the capitalization of that D period Don, I, none of my my research said that that was a necessary component when you're doing a bo- excuse me a botanist. As near as I can figure out, it is not a necessity or a standard. And I have seen some sources do it that way and others not. I, I suspect that at one point it was the way it was supposed to be done and then that kind of changed. And so some people still do it and some people don't. Um, but that is the capitalization aspect of this. And that's it for a little something different today. Just a little bit add-on to the taxonomy that we did in Episode 3. Uh, and the reason why it's a little short is because we have a good herbal legend for Chuanbei Mu. Um, actually, I'm going to say it's, it's it's an interesting, it's a fun herbal legend. I, I don't know if it really explains a ton about the herb, but let's get into it. This is from uh, a book called Chinese Herbal Legends by Jun Zhu, uh, written in 2006. So let's get into it. So once upon a time, there was a pregnant woman who had pulmonary tuberculosis because the woman was very weak. As soon as the baby was born, she fainted, and the baby died. Exactly the same thing happened again one year later. Her husband and her parents-in-law were very upset. One day, a fortune teller was passing by their house gate, and the mother-in-law asked him to predict her daughter-in-law's future. He asked for her history, and the old lady told him that her daughter-in-law had given birth to three babies, but they had all died shortly afterwards. Therefore, she was eager to know whether her daughter-in-law would successfully give birth to a fine baby or not. The fortune teller asked about the daughter's birthday and constellation. He said she was born at 7 p.m. in the year of tiger. The tiger at 7 p.m. is usually very ferocious. The first baby was born in the year of sheep, the second in the year of dog, and the third in the year of pig. Sheep, dog, and pig are the tiger's favorite foods. Therefore, all these babies were eaten by their mother. The old lady could not believe this and said, just because the tiger is a brutal animal, doesn't mean the tiger will eat its own baby. Surely my daughter-in-law would absolutely not eat her own baby. The fortune teller answered, it is so destined. She has no choice. The lady then asked, isn't there any way to save the next born baby? The teller reckoned, counting on his fingers. There's one way to save the next baby, but it is rather complicated. We have only one child, my son, so we really hope to have a grandchild to continue our family line. We're willing to pay any cost for a baby. The next time she has a baby, someone should hold it in his arms and run towards the east at top speed, but the mother should not be told about this. About 100 miles from here, there is an island. Once the baby arrives on the island, he will be safe because the tiger is scared of water, so she can't reach the island. The mother told her husband and her son about the fortune teller's idea. They all believed it would work. One year later, the darnalog law gave birth to another baby. As soon as the baby was born, the young woman again blacked out. The husband held the baby in his arm and ran towards the east, but only ten miles away, the baby died. The whole family was deeply grieved and scarcely knew what to do the next day the fortune teller came again the mother told him about the death of the baby the fortune teller said you carried the baby too slowly i meant that you should run faster than the tiger only if the tiger cannot catch the baby will he be safe another year passed and they expected another baby The husband bought a strong stallion and was ready to take the new baby away as fast as possible. After the baby was born, the husband wrapped it in a red sheet, mounted on the horse, and raced off like a shooting star towards the east. After a hundred miles, they arrived at the shore of the East Sea and rowed in a fast boat to an island. Five days later, the husband returned from the island and said, The baby died three days after we landed on that island. Everyone was sorrowed when they heard. The old couple so longed for a grandchild, they wanted their son to divorce his wife and marry a woman who could give them a healthy baby. When she heard this, the daughter-in-law cried bitterly. While she was crying, a doctor came to their house and asked her, Why are you crying? What is your trouble? The daughter-in-law told the doctor everything. The doctor looked at her face for a while and said, You have a disease. I can cure it that you can give birth to a healthy baby. The doctor assured them, the fortune teller was totally wrong. You people should not believe him. Your daughter is not a tiger, but she has an illness in her lung, plus a weak body. She was exhausted by labor, so the baby couldn't live long. Also, she has insufficient blood in her liver. That's why she always faints after giving birth. I want her to take a certain medicinal herb for three months, if she does, she can successfully give birth to a healthy baby. The family decided to try the doctor's advice. From then on, the husband went to the mountain every day to get this special herb. After the, using the herb for three months, the daughter was pregnant again. Ten months later, she gave birth to a big baby. So I, I just want to interject a little bit. This ten months later, she gave birth to a big baby. That sounds like a long time because we think of nine months. But actually in China, birth is ten-month-long process. Like, you're you're... You're starting to, like, uh, you know, spiritually gestate a baby about a month before physically sort of is, is the way we would kind of say. It. Or it could be a rounding off sort of thing. Um, so, uh, it, you know, 10 months is the standard um, rate of birth. You know, it, we, we say 9 months in China, they say 10 months, or at least traditionally they say 10 months. So ha- back to the story. Happily, the daughter-in-law did not faint after the birth, and the baby was healthy. When the baby was 100 days old, they bought many gifts for the doctor. The doctor was happy too. He asked, did that herb really work for you? Yes, it worked. By the way, what is, what's its name? It's a wild plant. Probably it has no name. Then we should give it a name. My baby's name is Bao Bei or treasure baby. So let's call it Bei Mu. In Chinese, Bei means the baby and Bu means the mother. Since then, the name Mu has been passed down from one generation to another. And that is the herbal legend of this particular herb. So let's get into some of the nitty-gritty of this herb. I always enjoy those herbal legends. I I learn a little bit about the herb in in a slightly different way, so it's always fun to, to have those in these. So Chuanbei Mu is from the family Liliaceae. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. And the species, as we mentioned already, is Fritillaria serosa D. Don. And um, there are other species actually used for this particular herb, you know, the, the Chuanbei Mu. Uh, and these other species include Fritillaria unobractiata, um, Xiao and Casey Shaw. So those are going to be the botanists now I know. Uh, and this in, in Chinese is called Anzi Bei Mu. When one source said this is actually the best uh, Chuan Bei Mu uh, to use. It's the strongest, and then serosa would be the, the next strongest. And and, and by the way, uh, fritillary serosa is an incredibly expensive herb um, right now. And, and one source said that we're, we're starting to um, get to the point where uh, it, it, it might start to be endangered. It is not at this point, but I can tell you, you know, from from where I'm at, it used to be maybe 10, 10 years ago, the, the herb used to be you know a $10 um, bottle of granules. And now I, I don't see it for less than 60 or $70 uh, a bottle of granules. So um, definitely much more expensive than it used to be and harder to get. So, so another species uh, besides uh, Fritillaria unabrachtiata, Fritillaria przewalskii. Um, it's a strange, um, P-R-Z-E-W-A-L-S-K-I-I. I assume when you see a name like that, that's clearly not a Latin name. That's, that's probably named after the, um, someone who discovered it or first brought it to the attention of, of someone who, who wrote it up. And so um, I, and, and then there are specific, again, I learned that in, in studying the taxonomy thing today, there are specific protocols on how you will change, Latinized uh, someone, a botanist uh, or, or somebody's last name and uh, make it into a, a species name. So Fritillaria prezawoski maxim. So again, maxim is gonna be the botanist here. And this in, in Chinese is called gansu beimu. And then another species is Fritillaria delavei franche. Franche is gonna be the botanist. And this is known as um, Mu. The medicinal herb, as we mentioned, a medicinal part, as we mentioned, is the bulb, and the direct English translation of Shua, of chuanbei Mu is shell mother from Shish- Sichuan. Chuan is is short for Sichuan province. Other names for this herb include Sichuan fritillary bulb, fritillaria bulb, tendrilled fritillaria bulb, fritillaria, just fritillaria. In Japanese, it's senbaimo. mo. Uh, in Korean, it's chiam. Hey uh, Mo, another. It, it sounds like Chinese to me. Gong um, Sao, translated as Hollow Weed, and also I saw Blue Shell and Ben Lassen, uh, which maybe uh, it was it was kind of referring. I think to uh, Tibetan, so I'm not sure if that was a Tibetan word or not. So, as you know. I usually have several sources that I look up information for these herbs, and so dosing uh, was was fairly consistent between them. One source, Bensky and his team, says the dosage is three to nine grams. Chen and Chen says three to ten grams in a decoction and one to one point five grams in powder. And Brandon Wiseman say three to six grams in decoction, so a little bit um, smaller dose, and one to two grams as powder. So very similar. All of these are very similar in dosing. A little bit of changes. Let's do a little sidestep and go into the family a little bit. So this is liliaceae family, and this is the lily family. So we have all heard of lilies and contains about 15 genera and 610 species of flowering plants. These include lilies and tulips. Common characteristics include large flowers with parts arranged in threes you've ever seen the the French fleur de lis design, it's based on the lilies, and so they um, they're arranged in threes with six colored or patterned petaloid tepals. So a tepal is one of the outer points of a flower. Um, collectively, they're known as the perianth. The term is used when these parts cannot easily be classified as either a sepal or a petal. A sepal. Is a part of the flower of angiosperms, uh, which is a, a type of flower. Flowering plants is basically what an angiosperm is. They're usually green sepals. Typical, typically, function as protection for the flower in bud, and often as support of the petals. So, uh, there you go with that. Uh, let's see. Uh, undifferentiated. So tepals are undifferentiated petals and sepals arranged in two whorls. So a whorl is a cluster of cells or tissue that surrounds another and wraps around it in an expanding circular pattern. So that's a whorl, W H O R L, whorl. whorl. Um, and it has six stamens and a superior ovary. So remember, the stamens and the ovary are the sexual organs of the plant. Uh, so. That is very, those are characteristics of this family. Most species are grown from bulbs. You've heard tulip bulbs before, lily bulbs, although some have rhizomes. So they, they do have, um, uh, rhizomes are, are lateral rootlets basically. Many Liliaceae are important ornamental plants. In fact, the fritillaries uh, are often ornamental as well. And we know lilies are very ornamental. We know tulips are very ornamental. This is this. At some point, I'm sure we're going to see this family again, and maybe I'll get into the history of tulips. It's fascinating history economically. It actually is foundational economic theory to look at the at, at tulips. And so we will. Well at some point, maybe we'll we'll do a little something different talking about tulips. So, all right. So the category for this herb, uh, again, each source kind of describes the category slightly differently, but they're all very similar. So Bensky and his team says it is an herb that cools and transforms phlegm. Uh, Chen and Chen say it is a phlegm-resolving herb, and Brandon Wiseman say it's a phlegm-transforming medicinal. So the, this, this term phlegm-resolving or phlegm-transforming, just different interpretations of the same word, and so very similar uh, and, and again, you know, Bensky says it transforms phlegm as well. It just adds it cools and transforms. So that's, it's a little bit more specific. Uh, Bensky and his team say it's bitter, sweet, and slightly cold and enters the heart and lung. And both Chen and Chen and Brandon Wiseman agree. However, Chen, Chen says it's cool rather than slightly cold. So it's a slight difference between the two. Um, does it... Mean anything in the real world? Probably not. Um, Bensky and uh, his team and Chen and Chen both agree the original source for this herb is the Shennong Bencao Jing, or the Divine Husbandsman's Classic of the Materia Medica, in the second century C.E. We've talked about this book a lot because it is the first existing book uh on individual herbs it's foundational for individual herbs so we see a lot of herbs come up in that especially more important and uh herbs and herbs that have been around for longer are, are going to show up in this book first so the good quality of chuanbei mu Bensky, it consists of solid unfragmented powdery white bulbs and Zhao and Chen, which is a, is a book on, uh, specifically on the quality of herbs, it has you know, basically one page per, per herb and really describes how to tell, um, it's called leptoanalysis, is how do you see and feel and smell an herb and know that it's good quality. And so they say superior grade is small, whole, white, firm, and powdery. And they describe three what they call technical terms in visual inspection of this herb. So one of these terms is called embracing the moon and it describes the two outer leaves, one much larger and embraces the smaller one, leaving a section with the shape of a crescent moon. I, I love these descriptions, but what they're saying when they're describing this is, if that's there, it's good quality. If it's not there, it's not good quality. So the second of these three technical terms is, coat of threads and solid basal basal plate with black spots and this refers to the slight indentation at the base of the bulb and that black spots can be seen in this space as well as the scars of the rootlets from the bulb and finally the third technical term is guanyin sitting in a lotus position so guanyin is the goddess of mercy and considered to be the physical embodiment of compassion so this is you know sort of like a, a chinese god or a chinese myth mythical uh you know mythical person so Guanyin sitting in a lotus position refers to the slightly indented base of the herb allowing it to remain stable and upright and which resembles Guanyin sitting in a lotus position on a lotus flower so that's a very uh very I I, I I these are like i said quote unquote technical terms but they're very very evocative, aren't they? And uh, you can read these and really kind of apply them when you look at the the raw herb in this case. So, what does this herb do according to Chinese medicine? Let's find out. According to Bensky, uh, Chuanbei Mu and his team, uh, Chuanbei Mu has a couple Chinese medical actions, and these include clear heat and transform phlegm. Great, that's the category it's in. So, I would hope it would have those actions, and it also clears heat and dissipate nodules so this is an interesting one because there is some science there's some research going on around whether or not this this can help lung and or breast cancer and this dissipation of nodules would kind of speak to that to a certain extent uh and 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 we're going to find out the other the other uh, authors of various books agree with this. So Chen and Chen agree, saying it dissolves phlegm and stops cough and clears heat and disperses nodules. So again, it, it almost exactly the same thing. It adds stops cough, but if we're transforming phlegm, and, and the thing that isn't being said here is usually. From the lungs, so that makes sense that it would stop cough if it dissolves phlegm from the lungs, and uh, clears heat disperses nodules. So, you know, Bensky says dissipate nodules. Chen Chen says disperses nodules. Same, same. Synony- they're synonyms. So, Brandon Wiseman similarly says clears heat and transforms dampness moistens the lung and relieves cough and disperses phlegm and binds so this adds it's it's very similar but it adds some very interesting subtleties to this herb which i think are very important so first of all it transforms dampness so phlegm and dampness are are related and so um generally if you're transforming phlegm you're affecting dampness Um, phlegm is considered like a more extreme version of dampness more solid version of dampness according to Chinese medicine. So that makes sense. That doesn't um, do a whole bunch. The moistens lungs and relieves cough is an issue. So we have relieves cough with Chen and Chen as well. So that's, that's good. But the moistening of the lungs. So usually when we think of transforming phlegm and transforming dampness. In the case of Brennan Wiseman, we think of drying something out. So the idea that this actually moistens the lung while kind of drying it out at the same time is really fascinating. It's one of the reasons why this is a really useful and interesting herb because it allows you to work on phlegm, but not overly dry out the patient, um, which is one of the issues when you're transforming phlegm. So it's a really useful herb in that, in this context. And it also says it binds, which is interesting. And so I think in this case, what they're talking about is it, it binds the lung chi so you don't dissipate the lung chi, which, again, is going to be a very beneficial quality because, again, if you're resolving, dispersing, and transforming phlegm, you're often also dispersing lung chi at the same time. So this binding function, I think, is really useful. So I think, honestly, Brandon Wiseman kind of get it in a, in a more technical Um, useful way than um, on and Chen Chen, which are both correct. Everyone's correct in this. They're all in the same ballpark. But I think the reasons why we would choose this herb are expressed better with Brandon Wiseman's actions in this context. Zhao and Chen, again, is that book on good quality, but they do explain functions of herbs as well. It says it clears heat, moistens the lung, transforms phlegm, and relieves cough. So really everything that was just said in Brandon Wiseman again, so that's really useful. And because, remember I said the source of this book is the Divine Farmer's Materia Medica or the Um Shen Nang Ben Cao Jing, we have translations of that book existing today. So um, I have one translation uh, that was by Sho uh, Zhang and it says it is acrid and balanced. It mainly treats cold damage, vexatious fever, dribbling, evil qi, mounting conglomeration, which means that's the formation of nodules, throat impediment, difficult location, interesting, incised wound, so a wound that's been grown over, and wind tetany. So this is um, spasming due to the, the evil influence in Chinese medicine of wind. So I think what's interesting here is that it, it treats cold damage, though we say it's cooling, and then the very next thing it treats is vexatious fever, which is hot. And so that would be functional. So it's, it's kind of weird with the, uh, the, the temperatures here um, in, in, in its first translation, you know, its first writings. He continues, the Divine Farmers continues to say the main indications are for the treatment of lung trouble. So again, this herb, it, we said, goes to the heart and lung. We're really, doesn't do a lot with the heart, though some people do does say that it's a little bit sedating with heart. We may see some of that in the commentary, but it really is a lung herb. So Western uses, uh, we always go over and see if it's used in the West. And this herb is all used almost exclusively as a Chinese herb. Plants for a future, which kind of is, is ha- it, it seemed to me to have more of a naturopathic sort of bent to things. Um, it was a database, um, says it is an antitussive, which means it stops coughing, astringent, so it holds things in. Antispasmonic, so that's that wind tetany that we were talking about, that antispasm a uh, demulcent, which means it's anti-inflammatory, anti-irritant. Okay, expectorant. It moves mucus or phlegm, if you will. Uh, it's a febrifuge, which means it lowers temperature in uh, fevers, and it's a pectoral, which means that it directs things to the chest. So all those make a lot of sense in, in terms of um, how we use it and what we we use it for in terms of Chinese medicine. So another source, uh, just looking on the uh, online. Agrees with these Western uses. So, what was interesting is a, one of my major databases for Western uses is uh, WebMD. I think it's it's well put together, thorough. Usually has some insights that I don't get from other websites, and they had nothing on this herb at all. So, I think that is a little bit telling. Um, if they don't know about it, it's probably not a major Western herb. So, uh, or used much at all. So not much in terms of Western usage here. So let's get into some of the commentary. So one of the great things is each of these books will have some commentary. Um, Brandon Wiseman usually doesn't have a ton. It's it's actual uh, raison de, uh, de tra, the The reason why it exists is it's it's a concise um, herbal com- compendium. Um, but you know Chen Chen well, and especially Bensky. Bensky, the newest edition of Bensky is has a lot of commentary sorry so. could you say that again hm. all right love siri <laughs> all right so the commentary in bensky discusses some interesting aspects of this herb this herb cools and transforms phlegm heat stops cough and disperses clumps while also moistening the lungs so they do mention moistening lungs even if they didn't put it in the action it is more commonly indicated for dry heat in the lungs with a non-productive cough however it also directs heart fire downward and thus treats constraint so constraint means stuckness because of the relative expense of this herb it is often administered as a powder to be taken together with the strained decoction of other herbs that alleviate cough traditionally more prescriptions call for its use in powder or pill form than as a decoction. And the reason for that is in, in a decoction, you're boiling it up. That's what a decoction is, is water um, boiling of the herbs. And then you're discarding, you're your squeezing out whatever you can, and then you're discarding the herb. For very expensive herbs, um, this is one of them. Another one is treated like this a lot is ginseng. You don't decoct it because it's sort of a waste of the herb. You just powder it up and, and use it whole. Um, and so, uh, or in the case of ginseng, sometimes you'll put it in a tea. And then when you're done drinking the tea, you'll eat the the leftover ginseng in the tea. Uh, and uh, it's got that, uh, ginseng has, is, is great, I've done that many, many times. And it has that sort of very pleasant herbal taste, uh, which, you know, a lot of herbs aren't that pleasant. So, <laughs> so preparations of this herb uh, include, although there are recorded instances of preparing this herb with Zingiberis rhizomatis suxus, uh, which is... Jiang uh, sure or dry frying it with bran fu chow for example in the Grand materia medica at the present time it is generally prescribed in its unprepared form for decoction as a pill it is usually combined with honey so honey pills are very commonly used in Chinese medicine so this makes sense so again there are different preparations but we don't use them. It's too expensive of an herb, and it works very well on its own. It doesn't need a lot of preparation or what we call powder in Chinese uh, thinking. So let's compare this herb with some other herbs. The, the herb is often compared with jia beimu as opposed to chuan beimu. This is jia, Z-H-E, beimu, which is Fritillaria thunbergii bulbous. So it's still bulbous. Instead of serosa, the species serosa, it's the species so very, very common. They're, they're often used uh, interchangeably, though e- there's differences in how they're used. And in fact, the term baymu, just generally beimu, was used without differentiating between these two herbs until the 17th century. So only in the last few hundred years do we actually um, start to differentiate between Tuan beimu and ja beimu. So very similar in, in how they work. So both herbs, cool and transform. This is again from Bensky. And his team. Both herbs cool and transform phlegm heat, alleviate cough, and disperse nodes, but each has its special abilities. Chuanbe mu is bitter but also sweet, which moistens the lungs. It is thus better for dry cough and for chronic cough due to weak lungs. However, it is not as effective as, as, as Jubei Mu in cooling heat and dispersing clumps. The later herb is bitter, cold descending, and acrid, spicy, which makes for a stronger dispersing action. It is thus used more frequently for externally contracted cough where the phlegm is thick, yellow, and difficult to expectorate. It is also usually preferred for swellings, nodes, lumps, and abscesses. Omissions from the Grammateria Medica notes, this is a, a, a book, a textbook, Jabemu is preferred whenever toxicity is involved due to its bitterness, and thus its greater ability to resolve toxicity. So there are differences between these two, but for most of history, they've been used interchangeably. Also, according to a translation of Treasury of Words on the Materia Medica in in Bensky et al.'s book, it can also be used as a substitute for Penelia rhizoma preparatum, or gerbanshaw in two-cured decoction, or urchen so two-cured decoction is a very important foundational um, formula, to tonify the lungs, eliminate phlegm, harmonize the middle, and direct fire downward. So very interesting substitution. However, Wang Jin, Wang Ji, who's a, a famous doctor as well, warns that substituting Chuanbei Mu for Sha cannot be done indiscriminately. In his thoroughly revised Materia Medica, as translated by Bensky and his team again, it states, they say Jirban Shaw is acrid and toxic, and one should substitute Chuanbei Mu. Do they not know that Chuanbei Mu is cold, moist, and mainly for lung patients with dry phlegm? Whereas Jirban Shaw is warm, drying, and mainly used for spleen patients with damp phlegm. How could they be used interchangeably? So there you go, a little bit of pros and cons there. Finally, uh, Chen and Chen compares this herb to, with Maimondong, or Ophiopogonus radix, saying they both moisten the lung and arrest cough. Mu is best for dispersing stagnation in the lung that manifests as in, as a, a, in cough with sputum. Manifests as a cough with sputum. Maimondong more strongly nourishes Lung Yin and clears heat. So um, if you're really dry, you're you're gonna want to go with the maimandong. Um, if you're more stagnant and then have that cough and sputum, you're gonna want to go with chuanbei mu. Okay, let's talk about using this in different combinations. So with other herbs, so with Anamarena rhizoma or germu, again a very important herb in Chinese medicine, uh, a, and this again is from Bensky and his team. The action of germu is not limited to the lungs, but cools and tonifies the yin of the kidneys and stomach as well. Because this pair of herbs emphasizes cooling and moistening over the transformation of phlegm, it is best suited for the heat from deficiency associated with lung consumption disorder, leading to cough with scanty sputum. So that lung consumption disorder is tuberculosis. That's, that's, uh, it's, uh, a translation uh, into that and consumption in the West actually means tuberculosis as well. It is not so cloying that it generates additional phlegm, nor is it so bitter and cold that it will further injure the yin. This combination addresses four different aspects of the condition simultaneously. Deficiency, heat, phlegm, and dryness. Sounds like a really powerful combination to me. Another herb that's often paired with this is uh, Armenasia semen or Xingren. Uh, and so that is a good combination. The bitterness of Xingren directs rebellious qi downward while its gentle warmth warmth disperses constraint and stagnation. Its focus is thus on restoring the descent of lung qi which will thereby alleviate the wheezing and cough. When used together, xingren acts primarily on the qi, chuanbei mu on the phlegm. The joining of warmth and coolness results in a harmonious quality that is further benefited by the moistening qualities of each of the constituent herbs. This pair is frequently prescribed for a variety of respiratory conditions, wheezing and cough from externally contracted lung disorders, long-term non-productive cough from lung deficiency disorders, and coughing of thick yellow sputum due to phlegm fire constraint. So that's another really great combination with this herb. So what's in Chuangbe Mu? So this herb contains many alkaloids, such as mean, Min, um mean Piamine, I'm going to say Chinpey and Sompey Fritamine, so that has that fritillary in there. As soon as you see that sort of thing, like a combination of plant. I think it's an important aspect of it. Sipamine and uh, P. which is potentially cytotoxic. Um, several of these I saw in a study are cytotoxic. Cytotoxicity uh, is indicative that it might be helpful in cancer treatments. So uh, cytotoxic means it, it, it damages cells. And usually when we use that word cytotoxic, we, we mean cancer cells rather than just willy-nilly any cell. Um, so, those were all from Bensky et al. Chen and Chen add in, uh, had several of those as well and adds in um, Bay lup- lupiamine. So, again, it has the word Bay in it, so um, probably important. Minpiamine, verticine, which is also potentially cytotoxic. For uh, so we had verticine and for ticinine, and fritillarine. F- um, so, again, probably specific to this, to this uh, genus. Um, Shaw, which was a uh, uh, another source uh, of a paper, adds uh, verticinone. So again, we already mentioned verticinine, and now it's verticinone, uh, which is potentially cytotoxic. Isovertazine, which means it's it's like verticine, but it's in a different conformation. Um, eb, e- Oh, eb idine, EBidinone. eb Ebay inanine, so those are all that complicated thing I stumbled on first. And then finally, uh, imperialine, which is also potentially cytotoxic. So I I, I don't think any of these are super interesting and I'm just listing them. And so we're going to move on from there. So let's talk about some of the science behind this herb. Uh, Chen Chen says it's used as an antitussive. Again, um, stops coughing, expectorant pulls out phlegm and mucus mild antihypertensive so it actually helps with with blood pressure but mildly it's not one of the herbs we think of initially for for blood pressure it says it's spasmolytic which means it helps spasms it it lytic means it's splits, so it splits spasms and, and what we mean is that it it reduces spasms and muscle relaxant effects which would be the same basically a synonym of spasmolytic um very similar to it so it it helps relaxes muscles that's an interesting effect of this herb there were some smaller studies that showed it is useful for treating whooping cough and chapped nipples in combination with other herbs uh, if you're not familiar with chapped nipples that's usually uh, during lactation uh, sort of thing and I, i'm not getting into all the different herbs and stuff it's just an interesting thing and and whooping cough makes a bit of sense given its functions the the chap nipples okay I, I, I it's moistening i can see that but i'm not sure other functions really fit in with that but again it wasn't the only herb that treated that there are other herbs too there was an in vitro study um, which means that it was actually in in um, class so it was uh, you know you have to take it with a grain of salt it may or may not apply to humans I should it could be helpful in suppressing growth in lung cancer, which again is interesting, is one of those functions of this of this herb is that lung functions. Um, I I, I always when I'm studying the science, I always look for systematic reviews. Um, if I'm not commenting on any systematic reviews, I'll usually say a systematic review says, um, then I, I didn't find much. I, I, I found one that I thought was relatively poor quality and, and not well done and didn't really. Add anything into this conversation um, but I always check like the Cochrane database which is, is a important database for systematic reviews and didn't find anything there again this is an important herb in Chinese medicine but it's not one of the most commonly herbs I, I it's up there you know I would put in the top 50 herbs Uh, And and put that in context, you know, for our board exams, we usually need to learn anywhere from about 300 to 400 herbs in order to pass our board. So top 50 is fairly significant, um, but it isn't well-known outside of Chinese medicine. It's not used, uh, at least as far as I could tell, much at all in in other uh, herbal traditions. And so not usually when that's the case, it's not studied as well. It's not as well-known, it's not as studied as well, so we don't have those systematic reviews to look at. Let's talk about drug herb interactions for a bit. There was some recent evidence in 2021, so it was this year, um, evidence of P glycoprotein inhibition by this herb. P glycoprotein is a top target of, of drug herb interaction research and is indicative of potential interactions. When I teach about drug herb interactions, I look for four different things. Uh, and P glycoprotein is one of those, and, and other what are known as transport proteins is one of those, those things that we look at. So there is some potential for drug of interactions. I don't think it's major. Uh of the four, this is probably the least indicative of, of major issues with interactions. So I'm not horribly worried about it. But it is something to be know to know about. And as it becomes more studied, we might find other potential interaction issues, and so throwing that into the mix, now you have two or three, then we become a little bit more worried about interactions. Having said all that, Gardner and McGuffin, who do the, um, edit the American Herbal Production Association's Herbal Safety Manual, Um, so whenever we're looking for safety issues, this is very thorough, um, well-researched, it's getting, you know, it's eight years old, so it's getting a little bit older, but still relatively recent uh and i like them they really help with safety aspects of herbs and they uh they they both say this does not list any they they don't list any interactions and state is it is an interaction class a uh meaning that there are no expected clinically relevant interactions so it's about as safe according to them as it can be with drug herb interactions like i said this this last thing just came out this year so it's brand new I think the evidence is still a little weak. it was all in vitro, not in humans, and I think there's a lot more that we need to do before we actually can say there is a P glycoprotein inhibition going on here, but it's pointing in that direction. it's good for us to be aware of it. But I'm not worried about drug interactions in this, in this herb at this point. So what are some concerns about this herb? Well let's find out. So according to several sources, traditionally this herb should not be combined and the, the sort of technical translation is is incompatible with aconite radix preparata or chuan wu other aconite herbs and gentiane, macrocephalae, radix or jiao This is traditional. I saw those in the Ben Cao Jing and was mentioned in every other source as well. This particular one was from Bensky, uh, and um, I'm, I'm a little curious because they say aconite radix preparata, Jur, chuan, wu, and other aconite herbs. There are several different aconite herbs, and the most commonly used one of those is fudza, um, and fudza isn't mentioned anywhere. It's, it's all very general about aconite. In fact, one of the other sources we're going to get to in just a minute, I think it was Chen Chen, uh, had listed several different aconite species and did not listen list foods so i'm I'm still a little curious i'd be cautious with foodsa in combination with this this herb but no one specifically said foodsa so it's an interesting uh, thing but other aconites definitely concern so according again from bensky translated by bensky according to harm and benefit in the materia medica phlegm obstruction resulting from wind cold or dampness should not be treated with fritillaria, flit flitteraria serosa bulbus or twainbe mu hence the adage that it can enter the lungs to treat dyna- dryness but is disagreeable to spleen patients and the reason for that spleen likes to be warm and this herb, herb is cooling in fact if one of the f- fascinating things about this herb is it cools and transforms phlegm there's not a whole bunch of herbs that do that, and this does it particularly well, a lot of the herbs that transform phlegm are warming and transform phlegm. And so that makes this herb that much more useful. But we have to be careful with patients who have damage to their spleen. And when I say that, it could mean physical damage, but really we're talking about the, the, the functional damage from a Chinese medical point of view. They also say it is unsuitable for problems associated with cold phlegm or damp phlegm. So that cold phlegm makes sense. You don't want to add cold to cold phlegm. It just makes it more difficult to deal with. Or damp phlegm. And and the reason why damp phlegm is an issue is because dampness is caused by spleen issues. And so this isn't good with spleen issues. So that's why you wouldn't want to necessarily use it with damp phlegm. And Chen Chen agrees with all of these concerns. They have them all listed very similarly um, as well. Brandon Wiseman also discusses the incompatibilities with aconite herbs. So again, specifically, aconite is, is incompatible with this herb. I, as far as safety is concerned, that Gardner McGuffin, that American Herbal Producers Association safety book, states this herb is a safety class one herb. Which means it is, an, it is an herb that can be safely consumed when used appropriately. So that's again, it's 1A, it's one in the safety class, it's A in the in the interaction class. Those are the highest ratings the book gets. It doesn't mean there they won't find something in the future, but as of right now, given the, the the research that we know and what we know about this herb, it is a safe herb. We don't have to worry about toxicity, we don't have to worry about drug herb interactions. And that's it. For our herb Chuanbei mood today, I appreciate it. I want to tell you, I want to start setting up our next episode. (laughs) We will be exploring another fascinating herb or formula in our next episode. But what's interesting about it is it's our 25th episode. And I have been wanting to have a discussion of Qi for a while now. I've been wanting to talk about it and give some insight because Qi underlines everything in Chinese medicine. And yet I think most people don't get it. Um, I used to teach the very first class in the in the in the Chinese medical program and qi always was came up, it was about half a class of a lecture. And I would always say to them, you're gonna I'm gonna teach you about qi right now. And um you're gonna learn about qi and you're gonna understand aspects of qi, but you're gonna spend the rest of your life, your professional career truly understanding what qi is. And so anything you've heard about qi is not true. Um, it's different and it's always your understanding of it changes. It, it's not that your understanding changes, it just it gets more in depth and more understanding and more aspects of it. So it's an interesting thing. Um, so I, I've been wanting to have this. And so the 25th episode seems like a great milestone to have this conversation, this discussion. I did discard, d- start to discuss Qi in episode 21 about the foundational formula, Si Wu Tong or four substances decoction. But I got sidetracked into a discussion of skeptics. I was going like, okay, well, if I'm going to talk about qi, let me talk about skeptics of qi before I actually talk about qi so I can kind of address some of those those skepticisms. Um, but so, but I never, the, my, my whole thing on skepticism got too big, so I wasn't able to, <laughs> to talk about qi at all. So that's good. I, I, I'm i like, we'll make it a milestone. 25th episode seems like a great milestone for it. But the reason why I'm bringing up this episode 21, if you haven't heard it, you might want to go back listen to it's a great episode to listen to before our next episode on chi so you can kind of get the skeptics all, all online as we we get in this and i will probably start the conversation on our next episode by saying something like i'm going to talk about chi but i'm still on the path and my understanding of chi isn't complete and probably never will be so take that with a grain of salt we'll go from there so that's all exciting on our next episode of Sperbs Herbs. so far for today i would really like to thank you for hanging in there. Really appreciate you hanging in on this on this herb. I like Chuan Beimu a lot. I probably don't use it as often as I would more because of the cost than anything else. I've had it prescribed to me. I think it's a wonderful herb. I've used it. I think it, it's a fantastic herb. And hopefully now you know uh, a lot more about it and we'll be more open to using it as well uh, with your Chinese formulations. If you do that or uh, if not, you at least understand this herb very well. So thank you again for hanging in there. Just a reminder, if you, when you buy from Amazon, please use the banner ad on our homepage at spurbsherbs.com. And if you like this podcast, please do us a big favor. Give us a five-star rating in your favorite podcast app. That is the best thank you you can get for us that allows us to grow and be, uh, uh, get more people listening to this and learning about how to how to learn about herbs and, and helping themselves and, and uh, helping others. So if you could help us with that prospect, we would be very thankful and the, and the best way you can do that is a nice five-star rating so thank you and as always you can get in touch with me at drgreg at sperbsherbs.com uh, so s-p-e-r-b-s-h-e-r-b-s.com or our website www.sperbsherbs.com so i'm happy to answer any questions i always usually say if you email me and i don't get back to you right away email me again i always I, I get busy. I read it. I'm like, I tend to get back to you, and then I get busy, and I forget about it. And then the second time you write, me, I'm like, oh, screwed up. It's my fault. I'm gonna send you right back. I don't feel like you're pressuring or anything like that. So don't, don't hesitate. You shouldn't have to write a second email. I just know how I am, so I'm, I'm letting you know. But really appreciate you guys listening. Thank you very much. As always, I have a, a extensive bibliography, and you can always find that at spurbsurbs.com as well if you wanna learn more about where I learned about it. Plus, I'm also gonna give a little bonus. If you go to the Sperb's Herbs for this episode, there is a very interesting recipe for a uh, a uh, traditional, uh, a very traditional uh, formula. It's not formula, it's it's sort of a, uh, it's a recipe really, it's a, it's a food recipe for lung and coffee and stuff like that and it's it's poached pears with this herb so it's a fantastic um, sort of traditional way to kind of treat colds on your own and especially with phlegm uh... at at home so i'll be doing a link i found that in my research and i'm going to be doing a link for that at spurbserbs.com so you can always look at that as well so go to our website and learn even more there's a bonus all right thank you guys have a good one The proceeding was presented by Dr. Greg Swerber. We would like to thank Janelle for all her support and everybody else who contributed to this program. Janelle, Timothy, Roger Rogers. Campbell.